Hey, good morning. Welcome to Faith on Hill's online Sunday service. Uh, we are a church in the Milwaukee, Oak Grove, Gladstone area. We meet every Sunday morning at 10.30 a.m., both in person and online. Uh, in person, uh, if you are fully vaccinated and you've uh, shown that, either you can bring your card or you can, uh, if you know Janelle Centers, uh, she can text or email her uh a photo of it, uh, but we're following the CDC guidelines. And so if you uh, have been fully vaccinated, you can go without a mask. Um, I, I looked this morning and saw that the state estimates that just a couple weeks from now, all of the mask restrictions will be lifted. Uh, the reason that we are still having those kind of uh, rules in place is we made a decision when the CDC uh, changed its guidelines a few weeks ago to be consistent. So we have consistently, as best as we could, followed the state and federal guidelines. And so we decided we will continue to be consistent with those guidelines. And so that's why we have uh, adopted this policy and, and why we will likely shift uh, once, once the state hits that metric. They're thinking June 24th-ish, last that I saw. Uh, we... In addition to gathering, we emphasize small groups. Now our, some, our uh, Wednesday night Zoom small group is on break, um, but there are still small groups meeting. We also, uh, in addition to this video, we have an audio version of our podcasts uh, that is available on Apple uh, Podcasts and Spotify. And if you're listening to the audio only version, the video version is available at 10.30 a.m. on our website, but always available on our Facebook page. And you can follow us at Faith on Hill on both Facebook and Instagram. If you have a Bible, open to the book of 1 John chapter 3, and if you uh, would, stick around with us afterwards for a time of prayer. Finally, uh, we are still taking donations for the uh, Wichita Family Center. We're taking food donations, and so if you... Uh, if you aren't coming in person, you say, hey, I'd like to donate to that, just let me know. Uh, you can email me, adam at faithonhill.com, and we can get that donation uh, there and, and get it to them. All right, let's open our Bibles to 1 John chapter 3. Hey, well, if you have your Bibles, open them to 1 John chapter 3. Today, we're going to talk about three things. We're going to talk about freedom. We're going to talk about holiness. We're going to talk about love. 1 John chapter 3, verse 1, John writes, and he says, See what great love the Father has lavished on us, that we should be called the children of God, and that is what we are. The reason the world does not know us is that it did not know him. Dear friends, now we are children of God, and we will and what we will be has not yet been made known, but we will know that when Christ appears, we shall be like him, for we shall see him as he is. We have an ancient message, and that's not a bad thing. Uh, I think sometimes we think of faith or religion or spirituality, and people treat it as if it's something passe, if it's something from a different time if it's something out of place in modernity. But I don't believe that it's a bad thing to hold an ancient truth. The Bible has been consistent. The Christian faith has been consistent. And anytime we haven't been consistent with this message is because we've been off track. But it's this message, verse one, God loves you. 
God loves you. It's interesting to me that John says, see what great love the Father has lavished on us. Why do I point that out? Because I said we have an ancient, timeless message. But some people don't see it that way. There are many people, both church-going, Christian people, and non-religious, non-Christian people who believe the same thing about God, and it's incorrect. But they believe this. They believe that the God of the Bible is really two different gods. There's the angry God of the Old Testament, the Hebrew Scriptures. And then there's the loving God of the New Testament. And they say, God the Father the God of of Abraham and Isaac and Moses and David, he's angry and he's mean and vengeful and he's going to destroy you and he is very mad. And then there's the God of the New Testament, Jesus. And he's sweet and he's loving and he would never hurt anyone's feelings ever. Neither of those views accurately represent how God reveals himself in scripture. The God that we see in the Hebrew scriptures is full of love and grace, abounding with mercy, it says. And Jesus in the New Testament, man, that guy went toe to toe. Y'all, he'll never hurt somebody's feelings. Really? Because he went toe-to-toe with the religious hypocrites of his day, and he hurt some feelings. He stepped on some toes. He made a whip out of rope, and he drove the money changers out of the temple. Now, I'll tell you this. There are people who are very modern in their view that love that story because it's about Jesus standing up against corruption and um, fiscal greed and Jesus taking it to the 1%, but they don't like to acknowledge the, the violence, the anger, the righteous anger that Jesus displays. And they certainly seem to have never read the end of the book of the Revelation where Jesus kills people. Jesus kills people. You can go and you can read it. And then there's the, the God that's presented in the Old Testament who Jesus firmly identifies himself both with and as. And you see God having mercy and having grace, and having forgiveness, and delivering people who don't deserve it. So John says, God loves you, and the Father, God the Father, equally God with God the Holy Spirit, and Jesus God the Son, he loves you, and he has lavished, he has poured out his love abundantly. But then he says, the reason the world doesn't know us is they don't know the Father. How do you know the Father? Through Jesus. Nobody comes to the Father but through Jesus. John chapter 14, verse 6 tells us. I don't think there's a verse in the Bible that I've quoted more in, in the last 20 years of Bible teaching than John 14, 6. I am the way, the truth, and the life, Jesus said. Nobody comes to God the Father but through me. So John's saying, you're surprised that the world doesn't get you that they don't recognize you, but they don't recognize God the Father. And if they don't recognize the Father, why would, why would they recognize us as children? 
If you want to know God, you have to know Jesus. And it's not surprising that people just could care less about the church because they could care less about the God of the church, the Father of us, the children of God. So we have this ancient, consistent message. God loves you. But if you don't know Jesus, then you can't know God. But this ancient message we have brings a modern hope. Hope for modern times. Hope for 2021. Hope not for people living in faraway lands in ancient days, but hope for people living in Clackamas County, in Oregon, people living here on our street, in our neighborhoods. What's that hope? Verse 3, John writes, All who have this hope in him, speaking of Jesus, purify themselves just as he is pure. Everyone who sins breaks the law. In fact, sin is lawlessness. But you know that he appeared so that he might take away our sins. And in him, sorry, I lost my place. In him is no sin. No one who lives in him keeps on sinning. No one who continues to sin has either seen him or know him. But dear children, verse 7, do not let anyone lead you astray. The one who does what is right is righteous, just as he is righteous. The one who does what is sinful is of the devil because the devil has been sinning from the beginning. The reason the Son of God appeared was to destroy the devil's work. And you can go back to uh, Genesis chapter 3 when we first have the prophecy of a coming Savior uh, as a kind of a corollary verse to that. Verse 9, no one who is born of God will continue to sin because of God's seed remains in them and they cannot go on sinning because they have been born of God. This is how we know who are the children of God and who are the children of the devil. Anyone who does not do what is right is not God's child, nor is anyone who does not love their brother or sister. What's the hope? What's the modern hope? Well, first, let's look at verse 3. He says that all who have this hope in Jesus purify themselves. So there is a hope for purity. Now, have you ever been so dirty, physically dirty, that you just thought, I am never going to get clean? Um, Maybe there's like motor oil, or um, some kind of like latex or oil-based paint. Uh, I don't know if you've ever, you've ever dealt with that. Like, you know, if you're just painting house painting, it's like latex paint. But if you've ever dealt with like an oil-based paint, it's totally different. I remember having to paint a, a metal fence with this oil-based paint. And I was tr- so careful. I don't want to get any of this on me. And it, some of it got on my shorts and it was not coming out. Um, I had uh, shorts that for years... Um, I, I was in Mexico and I was not supposed to be on the construction detail. I was on this go to the orphanage kind of detail, but we had some time in the morning. And so they said, Hey, can you help? And I said, absolutely. So they hand me a paintbrush and these shorts that I was wearing, which were like my go-to shorts, you know, they, they got stuff on it and they became my go-to work shorts. Cause they, that paint was not coming out. I think that's how sometimes people see themselves. In fact, I have known people, non-Christian people, 
who recognize on some level, like when you talk to them and you have like honest conversation, they recognize on some level their impurity. Uh, I'm, a, I'm a dirty person. They, they recognize that. Uh, they'll say honestly, yeah, I'm a pretty foul guy. I'm a, I'm a, I'm, you know, I'm an old, I'm an old cuss of a sailor or I'm a dirty girl or whatever they say. And they don't believe that there is hope to purify themselves. They've sort of recognized their situation as being impure. And then they just say, there's no hope. That's just who I am. But the message, the ancient message, the modern application is there is hope, purity for impure people, not because of you, not because of me, not because of some ritual, but because of Jesus who conquered sin and death, who rose from the dead under his own power. He brings purity to impure people. I think so often the church has reduced purity to a simple thing. Don't look, no hear no evil, see no evil, touch no evil, right? Purity is the cleansing, the full cleansing that comes from God. The person who, who was is no longer. The, the, the Bible says that when we become a Christian, it's like we died and our old self is buried and now we are alive in Christ. So we have hope for purity. If you are a non-believer and you say, I don't think that God could change who I am. God is saying, let me show you. If you are a believer and you know that you've been made right before God, but you say, I don't know if this part of me will ever get clean. I don't know if this, if this stain will ever come out. God's saying, let me show you. Verse four, everyone who sins breaks the law. In fact, sin is lawlessness. But verse five, but you know that he appeared so that he might take away our sins and in him there is no sin. So not only do we have hope for purity, but we have hope for forgiveness. That God really does forgive our sins and he removes them. And it's not that it's like, oh, I know that you did that, but I'm just going to give you a pass, but I'm always going to hold it against you. What the, the Christian faith's ancient message is, is that God takes sin and removes sin. From the very beginning, at the very start, when women and men began to call on the name of the Lord and began to offer sacrifices, and God said, I have looked and I have placed your sin on this sacrifice, and I've accepted it. But every year, they had to do another one, and another one, and it was never complete until Jesus, our pure and perfect sacrifice, came and removed all of our sins. And that gives us the, the hope and the assurance that our sins have been forgiven, that the lawlessness of my heart, the lawlessness of your heart has been removed. In verse 6, he says, no one who lives in him keeps on sinning. No one who continues his sin has seen him or known him. No one who is in Christ keeps on sinning. I believe that we have to identify what is meant by that. Does that mean that you and I will never sin again? What do you, well, what do you mean by that? Does that mean that I will 
never make a mistake, that I'll never lose my temper, that there won't be times where, where I need a fresh work of God in my life. I don't believe that's what it means. What we're talking about here is this active life of sin. If, if somebody says, I'm a Christian, but I'm going to keep on being a, a thief and a robber, John's saying, are you sure about that? If, if, if somebody says, I am in Christ, but I am going to keep on cheating on my wife or my husband, John's saying, are you sure about that? Because you are claiming faith and you are claiming the blood of Christ, but, but your whole life seems to be going the other way. I do believe that there is hope for victory. People say, oh, that's just how we are. We're sinners and we're just going to sin. Look, I'm, I'm not banking on the, the idea that, it, you know, this side of heaven that I'm never going to sin again. But I do not believe that I am cursed or destined or bound to be defeated. And I don't believe that for you either. What does victory look like? I think sometimes people think victory means that somehow you're never going to be tempted to sin again. I think that's foolishness. I haven't smoked a cigarette in decades, right? But I will still sometimes be out somewhere and I will smell a cigarette and there is some chemical response in my body that wants to smoke a cigarette. If I've just horrified you, I'm sorry, but that's just the truth. It happens a couple times a year. I'm just being honest. I smell it. There's some part of my body that says that would be nice. I have no desire to have that craving rule me. So I don't smoke a cigarette. That temptation might still be there, but you can make choices in how you live. If you're, I I have a lot of friends. We have people in the church. I've had friends over the years uh, who are in recovery. I have friends who run recovery ministries. They don't keep alcohol in their house. They don't. And they're very honest about their, uh, their issues because they don't want somebody unintentionally going, hey, here, have some. Um, I was at a, a birthday party, you know, 10, 12 years ago, and, uh, and, and there were some people there. It was at a restaurant, and some people had some beers. And, and one guy was saying, oh, this is really good beer. He wasn't getting drunk. He was just having one. But he was telling this other guy about it, and he's like, hey, you know, you really should try this. And the guy's like, no, no. And I finally was like, hey, man, he said he doesn't want to try it. And then uh, he's like, all right, whatever. And then afterwards, you know, later on, I kicked him. And I was like, dude, do you know that guy's in recovery? Like, you can't push a drink in somebody's face. And if they say no, keep doing that. But what I'm saying is you make a choice. You make a choice to put an internet filtering software on all your devices. You make a choice to live in transparency so that, you know, hey, you know, I don't have, you know, you know, my whole thing about uh, can a Christian drink or not? Sure. Yeah. If, if you can live out sobriety and some people can, and a lot of people can't, but here's the thing, you know, when, when the drunks that I've known drink, they, they do it often in the dark, in secret. If I live a life that's open and transparent, that is victory. If I live a life that is open and free, that is victory incognito mode on your search engine is not victory. Living in, in, in secret is not victory. 
living in in an open connection is. So we say, oh, I, I, I'm just bound to sin. No, I think I can choose to live in victory. One of my, one of my really good friends decided, you know what? I need to quit smoking. It's, it's terrible for me. I, can, I, I know I'm addicted to the nicotine. I need to quit. So what did he do? He didn't just will himself to stop. He wasn't strong enough. But he said, Lord, I know this is what you want from me. And so he got a quit coach and he got some nicotine patches and he started living in transparency and telling his friends, hey, I've quit. You got to help me with this. He started working in community. That's one of the reasons why I value the church so much so that I can live in community with others and I can live in openness with others and and I can walk through things with others. This last week, uh, we had... uh, an issue come up, and uh, it wasn't anything scandalous or anything. It was just just a couple of issues. We had two issues come up, and in both cases, I was able to go to others in the church and say, here's the thing we've got to figure out. I didn't have to do this on my own. It was wonderful. Here's the thing we have to figure out. How can we do this together? I believe in the hope for purity, for forgiveness, for victory, and I believe in the hope for truth. Verse 7, dear children, do not let anyone lead you astray. That's the second time in two weeks John has said that somebody is trying to lead them astray. And I believe that in our day, there are people who will try to lead the children of God astray. They will try to lead the children of God astray into apathy. They will try to lead the children of God astray into open sin. They will try to lead the children of God astray into religiosity, which oftentimes is hidden sin. But what does he say? Don't let anyone lead you astray. The one who does what is right is righteous, just as he is righteous. And the one who is sinful is of the devil, because the devil has been sinning from the beginning. How do we know what is true and what is right? Here's here's something to think about when we say the hope for truth. There was this guy, John Wesley. And John Wesley, you might have heard of Wesleyanism, um, or you might have heard of the, the, the Methodist Church, which is very different from the Methodist Church that John Wesley founded. But John Wesley was a leader in the Church of England hundreds of years ago. And John Wesley um, had an experience just of, of God working in his life. And he said, God is so real and and I felt his love and I need to be serious about living for him. Here's the crazy thing. He was already a pastor. He was an ordained preacher and he had essentially a kind of a conversion experience. So one of the things that John and his brother Charles and these people that came around and started working with him, what they said was, how do we know if, if we're really in Christ? How do we know if we're really Christians? How do we know if we're really a child of God? Because everyone in their culture went to church. In in John, the apostles' days, he's writing this, there were marks that you could say publicly, I have been baptized, I take communion, I'm, I'm a church member, I'm part of things. But in John Wesley's day, everyone had been baptized. Everyone had taken communion. Everyone went to church. So he started preaching a message of holiness. And he said, we have to take our lives seriously before God. We're not just going to 
sing the right songs and, and agree just, oh yeah, I agree with that. Okay. But then secretly I'm going to go and live my own way. I'm going to live selfishly. I'm going to live after my own desires. I'm not going to submit my life to God. He said, no, as Christians, we are going to submit our lives fully to Jesus. In his day, he was saying, we need to separate ourselves and define ourselves from the religious people, from the established church and say, we are the true church of Jesus. And he's not trying to set up like we're the only church. He's just saying Christians everywhere need to recognize the true faith and not the cultural faith. Now, in our day, it's a little bit different because the culture isn't Christian. In fact, we aren't just not Christian, but there are large segments of our community who are third or even fourth generation unchurched. We're not dealing with a generation that has left the church. We are several generations past that. In fact, um, I, I remember uh, Colton, my oldest son, when he was in kindergarten, uh, we went on the field trip to the pumpkin patch and I was sitting on the bus, you know, with Colton and, and behind us was another student and the teacher and we were driving past, uh, there's that church um, out in Damascus that kind of looks like a school and uh, it's right on, uh, what is that, 26 or whatever. And there's the, the kid said, oh, it's a school. And the teacher said, no, I think that's a church. And, and the kid said, what's a church? He had no idea. There, there was zero awareness of God or church in this little child's life. And I'm sitting there going, okay, what do I do? And, you know, I've gotten to know that, that kid since, and he at least knows what a church is, you know. Um, but here's the thing. In John Wesley's day, the question was, how do we know what's true for Christians to follow when everyone is a Christian. And in our day, we're trying to say, how do we know what's true for Christians to follow when seemingly more and more nobody in the culture is? What does John say? He says, the one who does what is right is righteous just as he is righteous. Just as he is righteous. I believe this, as we tackle questions of how do we deal with this or that or this question or this issue, there's a simple, basic question at hand. Am I submitting myself to the righteousness of God or am I giving myself over to the desires of sin and the flesh and the devil? We will continue to say, Lord, your will be done. And and as we wrestle through, what do we do with any of this? How do we deal with science versus faith? Which I don't think are opposed to each other, by the way. How do we deal with questions of human sexuality? Hopefully consistently. How do we deal with questions of... of, um, one generation and another, and and is this a cultural thing or is this a biblical truth? I think the Lord will lead us. I I think that there will come a, a thing, a moment where we say either we are just going to submit ourselves to God or we are going to, if we are truly in Christ, we are going to recognize that we're 
going down a path that's giving ourselves over to selfishness and desires and all of that. I believe that we can know truth. I believe that through Jesus, truth can be revealed. And finally, I, I believe that the, the, the last hope that we have for our modern times from this ancient message is a hope for life. Verse 9, no one who is born of God will continue to sin. They cannot go on sinning because they have been born of God. Hope for this life. There are so many people who think, okay, I believe in Jesus. I'm going to go to heaven. And when I get to heaven, that's when things will get better. I believe that God is healing people today. And you say, oh, healing people like those faith healers on TV? Maybe. I've, I've known people who have been physically healed and we continue to pray for people who have physical ailments. But I believe that God is healing families. He's healing broken relationships. He's healing broken people. Those people I talked about earlier who, who felt impure, God is healing them and bringing them to a place of purity. The person whose mind always went to the dirty thing is God's renewing and restoring and transforming. And now they hear something and they don't immediately think of the dirty joke. They don't immediately think of the foul thing. They, they're, they're, there's almost like a forgetfulness of those former things. God's changing people. God's bringing people into the light. God is transforming lives and restoring relationships. I don't believe that we just say, Jesus, save me, and then we'll just have to wait it out until we get to heaven. I believe that God's kingdom coming is giving us hope in this life. And I am so hopeful for people. I am so hopeful, not because of me or you, but because of Jesus and his power and what he can do. So we have this ancient message that has modern hope. But here's the thing. Verse 10 this is how we know who are the children of God and who are the children of the devil. Anyone who does not do what is right is not God's child, nor is anyone who does not love, love their brother and sister. The defining mark of purity, forgiveness, victory, holiness, truth, the defining mark of those things is love. Remember, we've talked about freedom. We have this ancient message of freedom. We have this modern hope for holy living, right living before God. But it is defined, it is marked by love. What good is it to never smoke a cigarette in your whole life, to never have done drugs, to never have had a drop to drink, to never use a crass or profane word? And yet, you don't love your kids. What good is it to have never cheated on your spouse and you say, oh, look at me, how good I am. I'm so moral. I'm so upright. But you haven't actually been loving to them. Or you've, you've never robbed anyone. You've always told the truth on your taxes. But you know what? If a black person moved in next door to you, you'd get uncomfortable. We have these ways of making ourselves feel moral. Here's the list of things and I do those things and therefore I am holy. And God's saying the defining characteristic is love. What is it if we as a church 
say, oh, God loves the world and we are going to live right for God and then we don't actually love each other. I heard a story last night of a church that was trying to make a decision about something and one guy was adamant that they, the church shouldn't buy this thing or whatever it was, I, I don't know. But, but he was adamant and in the end, everybody but him said, I think we should do this. And so he pulled out his checkbook and he wrote the check himself for whatever it was. And, and somebody said, what are you doing? And he said, I'm with you guys. I'm with you guys. And this is not me trying to get you, you know, oh, it's just the preacher again trying to get, get us to give. It's not that message. It stunned me to hear about somebody in a church who said, I'm with you guys. I don't agree with what we're doing, but I'm with you guys and I agree with you. If, if somebody says, I want to do these things, but then I don't want to love my brothers and my sisters. Who are my brothers and sisters? It might literally be your family, right? But I think in this context, it's arguably the church. If I don't recognize you as my sister or my brother, if we as a church don't recognize the other churches in our area as our sisters and brothers in Jesus, then are we living holy before the Lord? Love is the defining mark of holiness and keeping a bunch of rules without love doesn't work. Now you say, well, exactly. So I'm just going to love the sinner. And I'm not going to deal with their sin. That's a, no, 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 no. Because remember, we said there's there's hope. If if we tell somebody that you can keep on sinning, we're not giving them the message of hope that Jesus brings victory and cleansing and purity. But if we tell them, hey, stop doing this, stop doing that, stop doing this other thing, and you're not really welcomed here. And even if you are, why would you want to be here? Because we're all angry at each other all the time. And I don't think that's the case at our church, but it's something we always have to watch out for because we're people. Love is the defining mark of our fellowship, one with another. Love is the defining mark of God's work in my heart and your heart. If I want to show that I am in Christ, that I have victory in this life, love is going to be the defining mark. I'm going to love my wife my children, my friends, my neighbors, my church. Does that mean we always, you know, do whatever the world defines as love? No, far from it sometimes. But we are here with an ancient message that has a modern hope and God willing, it's defined by love, love for God and love for people. Let's respond to what Jesus has been saying to us, his church together, and let's enter a time of prayer. Well, as we have spent time in God's word, we always know that God is speaking to us and we want to respond to him. So we have a time of response and worship through prayer. I want you to feel free to hit the pause button wherever you need to. If you just need to stop and pray more and then you can unpause and catch up with us. And uh, so if you would, Enter a posture of prayer, whatever that means for you, whether it's standing, sitting, kneeling, hands folded, hands raised, however that is, eyes opened, eyes closed. I'm going to read 
and guide our time in Matthew's gospel, chapter 6, verse 9, where Jesus says, This is then how you should pray. Our Father in heaven, holy is your name. And so, Lord, we pray as you have taught us to pray. We acknowledge God as our Father, holy. And as we have heard from the scripture this morning, you are holy and yet full of love for us. Lord, your kingdom come, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Father, first we identify our own lives. May your kingdom come, may your will be done in our hearts, in our lives as it is in heaven. And I want to invite us to linger here for a moment and, and name and identify where God's kingdom is being established and, and ask God, hey, Lord, this is where I think I need more of your kingdom established, more of your will done in my life as it is in heaven. And Lord, we also know that you, you mean this in a physical sense, and so we pray for our community, for our leaders, for our neighbors, that we would see your kingdom come, your will be done in Milwaukee, in Oak Grove, in Gladstone, in Clackamas County, in Oregon, as it is in heaven. And Lord, we also ask that you would Help us to not seek the kingdom of this world, but to seek your kingdom. Give us this day our daily bread. And Lord, I pray for the needs, the daily needs of everyone listening. I pray that you would provide for those in need. I pray that you would teach us how to help provide for those in need. Give us ears and eyes and hands that are generous, looking for opportunities to be your hands and feet to bring your provision. Forgive us our debts as we have also forgiven our debtors. And Lord, we pray that wherever there is sin, we would recognize your forgiveness. And wherever someone has sinned against us, that you would bring us to a place of forgiving them because you have forgiven us of everything. Help us to model that in our lives. And we think about the people that have wronged us. Bring us to a place of forgiveness. Lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. Lord, I don't believe that you lead us into temptation, but you do lead us from temptation. And I believe that you deliver us from evil, and we pray that. I pray, Lord, for any who are dominated by sin, that you would bring them to freedom. And if you are not a believer, if you if you've been listening but you don't feel like your life is given over to Jesus Christ, then I invite you to pray that prayer, deliver us from evil. And I believe that Jesus hears that prayer of faith, that he will be the savior of your soul. And for those of us who are believers but we recognize the attacks of the enemy, Lord, deliver us from the evil one, we pray. Jesus said, if you forgive other people when they sin against you, your heavenly Father will also forgive you. But if you do not forgive other sins, your Father will not forgive your sins. Lord, I don't want any broken relationship with you. I don't want my unforgiveness to block my connection to you. I don't want 
my bitterness to block the receiving of grace that you want to give freely. And I pray that you would keep me from those things, keep all of us from those things. It's so easy. So many people are tired and frustrated and everybody seems on edge. You go out to, go out to the store and you can just feel it. Lord, I pray that you would help bring peace into our hearts and then help us be bringers of peace into our world around us. We pray these things knowing that you are holy and powerful and that you have so much love for us. We pray these things in Jesus' name. Amen. God bless you. The Lord be with you. May he cause his face to shine upon you and to be gracious unto you. We'll see you next week.